Esther. Um, We're going to dive into it. It's a little heavy passage this morning, and so if you would, open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 10. Uh, We've been learning a lot about uh, the sovereignty of God, right, and the faithfulness of his servant Daniel over the past several weeks, and chapter 10 is going to be an introduction to the last vision that Daniel has that's going to span the rest of the book of Daniel. And we've learned so far in the book of Daniel that, you know, there's going to be nations, there's going to be kings, there's going to be these entities that are going to rise and fall, um, who are going to bring war on the saints of God. And this is going to happen uh, not only physically, but spiritually until the culmination of history when the Lord returns uh, in victory. And so Daniel 10 gives us this behind the scenes look at how things are accomplished in the spiritual realm. People will mock, right? They'll ridicule, they'll jeer at the idea that, uh, you know, there are spiritual beings, that there are spirit, there's spiritual warfare going on, as if, you know, somehow they're too sophisticated to believe that, you know, uh, you know angels and demons are real, like it's fairy tales. And that's because man is captive to the natural. He's confined by time and space, we have a hard time wrapping our minds around, you know, things that are supernatural, the eternal things of God. But from the beginning of the created universe, our existence, we've been engaged in a struggle between the forces of evil and holiness. And the truth is that there are spiritual forces that seek to influence the affairs of human life every day. And they seek to stop the advance of God's will. They wreak havoc on the people of earth, especially believers. And they arouse people to sin against God in the heavens. You and I are engaged in a war. Whether you're aware of that or not, whether you believe it or not, that's the truth. And there's battles happening right now for the souls of people. And this morning we're going to see some you know, amazing dynamics of prayer. We're going to witness a heavenly vision. We're going to get a glimpse into the spiritual realm. And we're going to find out what it really means to find ourselves engaged in the spiritual things of God. And so with that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. There's going to be a lot here. Uh, Lord, we're blessed to be in this place, God, uh, to just be singing your praises, Lord, to 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 be able to dive into your word. And God, as you give us a glimpse of, of, of things that are supernatural, Lord, I just pray that uh, uh, you would open our hearts like Daniel, God, to see things that, uh, you know, are not common, Lord, to, to understand these things. God, I just pray, Lord, that your truth would speak to us this morning. And uh, we just ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So, verse 1, it says, uh, in the third year of Cyrus, the king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, whose name was called Belteshazzar, which just so you know, it's the same Daniel. The message was true, but the appointed time was long, and he understood the message, and he had understanding of the vision. And so this third year of of Cyrus would have been 536 BC. And this is the latest date that we're given in Daniel, and this is very close to his experience in the lion's den. And it's only two years after Cyrus just issued a decree for the Jews to go back to their homeland. You know, after 70 years of captivity. And, you know, Pastor went over this last week. 
And uh, so we're not, we're not going to rehash a lot of that stuff. But, you know, if you look in Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Ezra, 2 Chronicles, Nehemiah, they all speak of this event of how the Jews went back to their homeland to rebuild the Lord's temple and repopulate that land. And they did so led by a guy named Zerubbabel. And we learn in Ezra 3 that he was able to lay the foundation of the temple, but then progress stopped. Something was happening. And whatever this was caused Daniel to uh, enter into a state of mourning. You know, he took on this fast. And once again, we see Daniel going back to prayer. And so in Daniel 2 and 3, it says, In those days I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant food, no meat or wine came into my mouth, and I did not anoint myself at all until three whole weeks were fulfilled. You know, the cause of Daniel's broken heart was probably a few things. The first being that there was a few faithful that went back to the land. And when they got there, they were being antagonized by the Samaritans. And the Samaritans had came in and occupied that land when the Jews were deported to Babylon. And we see the Samaritans here fighting. They're warring with the Jews. And they're trying to stop the reconstruction of the temple. And the Jews were meeting some serious, serious resistance here. Another thing we see here that, that caused Daniel to be distressed was that, you know, the Jews were becoming complacent in their new land. Only 46,000 Jews went back to the land. Just a small portion of, of what was in Persia and Babylon in that time. You know, they didn't have a desire to go back. They're comfortable. They were too prosperous. You know, you got to remember Daniel was around 15 years old when he got deported to Babylon. He's now about 85 years old. And so there's this whole generation of Jewish people that have grown up in this Persian society, in Babylonian society. And they don't want to give up their lives. They established themselves there. And they didn't want to go back to rebuild, to do the Lord's work. And so on top of that, in Daniel 4, it mentions... A date gives us a clue, another clue. It says, now on the 24th day of the, first, of the first month, you know, this first month would have been Nisan. And the Passover and uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread would have been uh, celebrated during this time. And here, this would have been a time of jubilation. It would have been a time of, of commemoration, of celebrating what God did with the, with the Israelites delivering them from Egypt. And here God is doing it once again, just like Jeremiah predicted. 70 years, they'd be able to go back to the land. And here Daniel sees that the people are being physically attacked while they're there. And then on the other hand, he sees a bunch of Jews that are just, you know, indifferent. They're apathetic. And so there's these forces that are working on the people here. And they're attempting to stop the progress and the fulfillment of God's word by afflicting God's people in different ways. And maybe this is why Daniel chose to stay back, you know, and not go to Jerusalem. Maybe he figured that he could still be a use to God with his influence in government. You know, we don't know for sure, but what we do know is that Daniel has an incredible burden for God's people in this situation. And it seemed like God's work is slowing down. You know, the Jews were suffering adversity. They were forsaking their privilege as God's people to go back to their their land and he's grieving and he's so distraught that he doesn't even anoint himself and this would have been with oil right oil is used for several different things in those days but one of them was fragrance you know this would have been daniel's deodorant 
He didn't even prop himself up. He didn't care about the external things. He was too busy mourning and upset internally. And so Daniel does what we see him do throughout his whole life. He seeks God in prayer. And in Deuteronomy 4.29, we read that from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. This was Daniel's disposition. This was Daniel's heart attitude towards God. And so he prayed because he knew God would, would, would hear him. And Daniel was a true prayer warrior. You know, what, what about us? Like, what do we think, you know, would happen if we interceded, you know, on behalf of our family and our churches and our community? What would it look like if we were to have this heartbroken just prayer like Daniel? You know, how much change do we think would happen through that? Not just with, you know, platitudes and not just with good intentions, well-meaning thoughts, you know, but sincere, heartbroken prayer. You know, I, I, my, my mother, she had a great impact on my life because she was always praying. I know that her prayers influenced the direction of my life. Who was praying for you? I'm sure there was somebody praying for you. You know, how many times have we seen God work through, you know, the prayers in our, in our connection groups, in our church, you know, just in our, in our lives? It's countless times we've seen God respond to our prayers, right? And this is what happens next in Daniel 4 through 7. It says, Now on the 24th day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose waist was girded with the gold of Euphaz. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like the torches of fire, his arms and feet like burnished bronze in color, and the sound of his words were like the voice of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great terror fell upon them, so that they fled to hide themselves." You know, Daniel's act of prayer, his faithfulness, his heart attitude, his care for God's people, his self-denial, his sacrifice all throughout his life is rewarded with this glimpse of glory from God. This, this vision of this amazing person. And he's along the Tigris. He's, he suddenly sees this vision. You know, he, he's with some friends and they don't see it, but they sense the presence of something and they just run. This angel here is too magnificent. He's too glorious. He's special and extraordinary. And Daniel struggles to find the words to express what he's seeing. And he starts recalling, you know, his vocabulary on, 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 on precious metals and stones, all these natural elements to describe this inexpressible beauty that he sees. And there's some speculation on who, who this person is. And so... Uh, I want to lay out a couple options for you, just so we can become familiar with both. But some say that he's the angel Gabriel. You know, we've seen uh, Gabriel mentioned before in Daniel. Gabriel's name means God is my strength. We actually see him strengthening Daniel here in these coming verses. You know, first time Gabriel's mentioned in the Bible is Daniel 8.16. And it's here that Gabriel is going to bring understanding to Daniel about the interpretation of the ram and the goat. And Gabriel returns back to Daniel in chapter 9. Just last week, we, we, we learned about that. And he, he gave Daniel insight to the 70 weeks. That prophecy 
And in that chapter, he's described as a man, just like he is here in Daniel 10. But he appears also in the New Testament to Zechariah and Elizabeth. And he tells them that they're going to miraculously have a son who's going to be the, the forerunner, the herald to the Messiah, John the Baptist. And we know that Gabriel appears to Mary, right? Telling her she's going to be conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she's going to bear a son who's going to be the savior of the world. And Daniel, Mary... In Zechariah, they're all struck with awe and fear, just like Daniel is here when they encountered Gabriel. But he's a good and holy angel. And he stands in the presence of God, ready to deliver messages to the Lord's people. And Gabriel is a reminder here that, that God cares, that God hears, that God responds to his people. And others will say that this is uh, the angel of the Lord. This is a pre-incarnate Christ. And, you know, there's some strong evidence for this. We, we read in Revelation 1, 13 to 17. It's pretty striking uh, similarity here. It says, In the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, that's mentioned in Daniel as well, clothed with a garment down to his feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was like the sun, shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid, I am the first and the last. And this is a vision that the Apostle John is having, and he's describing the Lord Jesus Christ. And this description is nearly identical to what Daniel is writing here in chapter 10. I mean, you can almost, you know, flip-flop the verses and still come up with the same stuff. But the angel of the Lord, he's mentioned 56 times in the Old Testament, in 51 verses. And he's never mentioned in the New Testament, and that's why we, we, we think he's a pre-incarnate uh, uh, Christ, a theophany or Christophany. You know, but the, the, the angel of the Lord speaks as he's God. He identifies himself with God. He, he, he exercises the responsibilities of God. In Genesis, we see that the angel of the Lord appears to Hagar and tells her that she's going to have a, a, a son named Ishmael. The angel of the Lord is with Moses in Exodus. He's with the Israelites in the wilderness. In Judges, we're told that Manoah and his wife are going to have a son named Samson. Gideon, Joshua, Jacob, Abraham, Sarah, they all had encounters with the angel of the Lord. Daniel himself may have encountered the angel of the Lord in the fiery furnace. You remember when we went over that. And this is a pivotal moment in history here. And it may very well be that the Lord is bringing a special message at this time to Daniel. For the last time, you know, beginning in this, this ushering of the age of the Gentiles here. My personal belief is that this is Gabriel or another unnamed uh, angelic being. And the reason I say that is if, if you skip to verse 13 quick, it says, The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, and behold, Michael, one of the chief priests, came to help me. For I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. And, that, you know, for me, I got to ask, like, if this were, this were Christ, you know, how is he not able to overcome this opposition of this wicked angel on his own, right? How can, how can divine omnipotence 
no weakness. How can he not defeat his own creation? You know, the fact that our Lord Jesus would need the help of Michael to, to fight off an angel is hard for me to reconcile. But, you know, again, I, I don't have all the answers. I, there, I could be, you know, seeing something, not seeing something that's here. You know, maybe this vision's not associated with, with, with the, the, the angel here. We can't be dogmatic about who this person is. But what we do know is that God is bringing a piece of heaven down to Daniel. And Daniel is seeking answers. He's seeking help. And he's praying for God's people. He's, he's trying to understand God's purposes. And God is never far away from us. He desires to know us. He desires to love us. He desires to reveal himself to us. To have us move forward in his purposes. You know, Daniel 8 goes on. This is his reaction. It says, Therefore I was left alone when I saw this great vision, and no strength remained in me. For my vigor was turned to frailty in me, and I retained no strength. And yet I heard the sound of his words, and while I heard the sound of his words, I was in a deep sleep on my face with my face to the ground. He just got a glimpse at a glorified person. He was emotionally overwhelmed. He's, he's physically weakened. On top of that, he's received this vision of the future, and he's overcome by what he saw. He's devastated. He's sick. He's fearful of the future. And we can understand that, right? Look at everything that's going on right now in society. Every day, we find out that there's something new going on in our government, something new that they lied to us about, something, you know, some sin that they're advocating for. You know, there's terrible forms of sin that are being approved and affirmed and encouraged. And our society is just degenerating quickly at a rapid rate. And that can be discouraging for God's people. Because we know the consequences of sin. It's God's judgment. In Daniel, he's been dealing with the repercussions of Israel's disobedience for 70 years. But he sees the finality of God's judgment in the future. And it's absolutely horrifying to him. In Daniel 10, it says this, Suddenly a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees in the palms of my hands. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly beloved, Understand the words that I speak to you. Stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. And while you were speaking these words to me, I stood trembling. And then he said to me, Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. The angel here is preparing Daniel to understand, right? To be fully capable of receiving God's word. He's strengthening him. The angel comforts him. He restores him. He's reminding Daniel that God has not forgotten him. And remember Daniel's character. He's not a selfish guy. He's not arrogant. He's humble. He's faithful. He's dedicated his life to God and God's people. And this message, this touch from God is for those who love God, who are beloved of God. Our Lord, you know, was ministered by angels. 
There's no doubt that angels are ministering to us as well. As we pray, as we're trying to be faithful, as we're struggling, as we're wrestling with life. Psalm 91, 11 says, For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. Psalm 34, 7 says, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. Hebrews 1, 14 says, Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are going to inherit salvation? Angels are there to minister to us. And Daniel doesn't get an immediate res response to his prayer. But we have to remember that, you know, answers that are delayed are not answers that are denied. And this angel has now been sent to you. It says at the very beginning of Daniel's prayer, an answer was already coming back to Daniel. And Daniel was doing his part. He's being patient on God's response. He didn't give up when he didn't hear an answer. He prayed harder. You know, how often do we feel like God has just abandoned us. Like we feel like he, he's got much bigger things to worry about than, than our prayers. And we pray, we pray a lot for answers, and they don't come, we don't get a response, and we find ourselves in despair. And we start having this self-pity. And we give up prayer. But listen, maybe God has already dispatched his answer to your prayer. You know, and the angels are currently bringing those answers to you that are going to bring you closer to him, that are going to bring you comfort, that are going to bring you understanding of his word. You know, as believers, we can rest assured that our voices are heard by God. 1 John 5, 14 says, Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. You know, when we're in the middle of God's will, there's, there's no room for timidness. There's no room to be embarrassed. There's no room, you know, for, for fear. We can be confident going to God because we know that He hears us. But listen, we got to be aware. Because when we're aligned with God and we're praying and we're in the middle of his will, we can count on the forces of evil working against us to stop the advancement, advancement of God's answers in our lives. And we need to be mindful of that. You know, this little glimpse here in Daniel is a reminder that prayers, they really do get answered. They really are heard. You know, and God and all his heavenly hosts, they're, they're working to, together to, to, to deliver a message to us of understanding and comfort. And he's sending an answer to our prayers. He's delivering us this strength. And here in, Daniel, in verse 13, 14, it says, But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, and behold, Michael, one of the chief priests, came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. And now I've come to make you understand what will happen to you and your people in the latter days, for the vision refers to many days yet to come. We touched upon Gabriel and the angel of the Lord, and so I want to explain Michael here for a minute, just so you're familiar with who he is. Michael is an archangel. He's described in Daniel, Jude, the book of Revelation, and he's a warrior. 
He's, he's an archangel, which means he's, a, he's an angel of the highest rank. In most angels in the Bible, they're depicted as messengers. But in all three books where Michael is mentioned, he's mentioned contending. He's mentioned fighting, standing against evil spirits and principalities. Daniel 12 describes Michael as the great prince who protects your people. He's got authority in the spiritual realm. He contended with Satan over the body of Moses. The rapture of the church is associated with the voice of an archangel. Most likely Michael is accompanying the Lord to gather his church. But the last mention of him is probably the most significant. Revelation 12, 17 says, War broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail. And nor was there any place found for them in heaven any longer. So the, de- the, so the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the world. He was cast to earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Michael actually defeats Satan in battle. And there's a spiritual war going on for the hearts and the souls of mankind. And Michael here is an archangel. He's this strong, angelic prince who protects God's elect, who submissively serves God by doing battle against Satan. And he's tremendously powerful. And he's on our side. He's God's minister to minister to us, to see that the Lord's kingdom is advanced. And Michael enables this other angel to get to Daniel, to deliver this message, to deliver God's vision. And so in Daniel 15 here, it says, When he had spoken such words to me, I turned my face toward the ground, and I became speechless. And suddenly, one having the likeness of of the sons of men touched my lips, and then I opened my mouth and spoke, saying to him, who stood before me, my Lord, because the vision, my sorrows have overwhelmed me, and I have retained no strength. For how can this servant of my Lord talk with you, my Lord? As for me, no strength remains in me now, nor is any breath left in me. And then again, one having like the likeness of man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man, greatly beloved, fear not. Peace be to you. Be strong. Yes, be strong. So when he spoke to me, I was strengthened. And he said, let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Daniel was anxious. He was worried. He's frightened. He's concerned about the future of God's people. And Daniel has this great vision. And like many others who have had this intimacy with God, he's left with a, with a great impression on his life. You, know, you think about Moses and how he's seen the, 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 the backside of God and got a glimpse of that glory. His face shone for a little while after that. And you think about Jacob who wrestled with the angel of the Lord and, and, and the Lord literally left him with a, with a, with a hip you know, injury the rest of his life. But listen, people who encounter God, they're changed forever. You and I have experienced that. You and I have experienced that glory, that taste of grace in our life, right? And are we not changed forever because of that? People who encounter God are changed forever. And Daniel is emptied of all of his confidence here. And he, he, he's weak again. 
because he's confronted with God's glory. He realizes he's sinful. He realizes he's, he's powerless in comparison, and so he prostrates himself on the ground, and he's sorrowful. But listen, Psalm 29, 11 says, The Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. Psalm 68, 35 says, The God of Israel, he is the one who gives power and strength to his people. Blessed be God. When we sin and we re- re- rebel against God, it creates this gulf, this, this, this frightening situ- uh, uh, separation between him and us. And that invites crisis, it invites hardship into our lives. And without God there by our, so- by our side, we're left to, to, to go through all this hardship on our own. And we fail. It's only those who surrender themselves to God who receive his help. You know, Pastor Joel described this last week as a, as a heartfelt lament over sin. Humble people receive God's grace. Pastor Jacob reminded us of that a few weeks ago. That first beatitude was, blessed are the poor in spirit. You know, broken, heartbroken over sin. But God's grace is for those, you know, who are humble. And he reaches down to touch our lives. You know, man can't go up to God, but God can come down And he did. He came down to us. And by his grace, we're no longer distanced by sin, by shame, by guilt. You know, we've been touched, renewed, given strength. And so Daniel now is strengthened and this angel is about to leave. In verse 20 here, he says, Do you know why I've come to you? And now I must return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I've gone forth, indeed, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is noted in Scripture, the Scripture of truth. No one upholds me against these except Michael, your prince. And so there must have been some unfinished business in Persia. You know, this, this struggle that's going on that, that if the angel didn't get back to, you know, left unchecked would have, would have you know, been a wrench in God's plan. And so the angel returns permanently to remove this prince of Persia and allow the prince of Greece to come through. And this prince of Persia here is not a person. It's not an actual human being. This, this is a demon that influences the government of Persia. And after this, he's going to allow the, the demon of Greece to come through. Just as God said, this was going to happen. And that word governments here is is translated often as principalities. And those who rule over principalities are referred to as princes. And just like we see with Michael the archangel, there there are a hierarchy of of rank in the angelic realm. Ephesians 6.12 speaks to this. It says, we don't wrestle uh, against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And I want you to know here that this isn't a conspiracy theory. Okay, this is reality. Listen up. Demon, demonic spirits, they enter the rulers of world governments to influence those governments, to oppose the people of God, to oppose the word of God, to oppose the work of God, 
And this isn't just Persia. It's not just Greece. This is every government from the beginning of time until Christ rules perfectly in the new millennium. This is even our government. If you don't believe so, look at what many of our nation's leaders are advocating. Look at the sin, you know, our laws allow people to commit. And it's every more reason to, to be praying for those in government. To be praying for those who are true believers who are, who are resisting those forces in politics. Real life Daniels, right? Heaven is directly related to the f- affairs of government. And this is where some of the most vicious spiritual battles are going on. And there's a lot of well-meaning people out there. But they'll scoff at the idea of there being demonic forces or good and evil angels. You know, they, they caricature Satan, right? Like he's a joke. But the fact remains here that this is, this is biblical theology. This is real. And the angel Lucifer was the first being to be found with sin. And that sp- sin spread like cancer to a third of the angels in heaven. And together they rebelled to try to overthrow their creator. Assume the highest positions of glory. But they were cast out. And ever since, they've made it their aim to try and thwart God's purposes on earth. You know, they're relentlessly trying to pull as many humans as possible away from the love and the reconciliation and ultimately glorification with God in heaven. And this isn't a surprise to us who belong to the church. But for those of you who are here, you don't... You haven't read the Bible or you're not familiar with this. You know, God created us in his image. And Lucifer, who we now refer to as Satan, which means adversary, all of his hosts, they seek to destroy God's most precious creation. They don't want us to be redeemed. They don't want us to be saved. They want to see us in hell. And they want to see God cut deep in his heart. Satan is trying to consolidate as much power as possible here on his time on earth. Trying to drive people to sin. Trying to discourage believers. In an attempt to stop as much of God's plan as he can. You know, I've mentioned before preaching that hell is not a, a, a place that was created for human beings. It was originally created for these fallen demons who have no redemption, they have no grace, there's no hope for them. But God gives us a unique opportunity to be saved. They want to see us in hell, but God wants to see us saved. We don't have to be delivered to that horrible, eternal punishment awaiting for these fallen angels. Revelation 17, 14 says these, that's evil forces, demons, evil nations, they're going to make war with the Lamb. And the Lamb will overcome them. For He is Lord of lords and kings of kings, and those who are with Him are called chosen and faithful. And Jesus Christ has broken the power of Satan. He never gave in to the devil's temptations. He never once ever sinned, ever one time, never. 
And Christ broke the power of Satan by eliminating his power over death. Christ was crucified on a cross, sinless, perfect. And death couldn't even hold him down. He was in the grave three days, but he rose again. And he ascended to the right hand of the Father in heaven. 1 Peter 3, 21 22 says, Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers have been made subject to him. Christ took away all the weapons of these fallen angels, and they no longer can enslave those who place their faith in Jesus Christ. And so I want to leave us with a couple takeaways here. We're fighting a war that's already been won. You know, there's nothing that can overthrow what God has already determined in history. You know, all of history is according to, to what this book tells us, to what the Bible tells us. Like Daniel says in verse 1, that this is true. In church, we can't be complacent like some of those Jews were who neglected their opportunity to go back and be in the middle of God's will who are too comfortable in their lifestyles to be a part of God's work. We need to be bold. We need to be strong. We need to be assured of God's word. And when we're not, that's when we need to be praying the hardest. In prayer, we draw closer to God. We commune with him more. We understand him more. We depend on him more. We trust in him more. Prayer is where we learn to praise God, where we glorify God. It's where we learn to witness to people. And we need to be prayer warriors because the battle's too close to home. It's in our families. It's in our church. It's in our communities. And we need to be praying for those who are out there in, in government fighting these forces. You know, we need to be praying for those who don't know Christ who don't even know that there's a battle going on for their very soul. And we need to remember Colossians 1.13. It says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness, and He's conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. You know, Satan and his evil forces, they've, they've been defeated. The only place they have in our lives is what we give them. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, 19, No temptation has overtaken you, except such as common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with temptation will also make the way of escape that you might be able to bear it, that you may be able to bear it. Meaning, as a believer, you have the strength to fight off any sin that comes into your life. The only sin that you commit is what you allow. Okay? Let that sink in. You know, victory doesn't come, you know, by, by being charismatic, you know, by trying to bind Satan and bind demons. You know, we don't go around trying to perform rituals and exorcisms. We're no match for Satan. We're no match for the demons. They've existed since the beginning of time. They're a lot smarter than we are. They have a lot more weapons than we do. We can't even see them. And they, 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 they influence everything in our world. 
We rule over sin by fleeing temptation, by taking our thoughts captive, by resisting. James 4, 7, 8 says, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw nearer to you. You know, nowhere in the Bible does it say, go chasing after demons, that's foolish. Ephesians 6.14 says, Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, put on the breastplate of righteousness, shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and above all, take the shield of faith, which you will be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Engaged in battle means we need to be praying. We need to be witnessing because the world is passing away. And the Lord is returning soon. And it's our message as, as the church to make known you know, to the world that there are things that matter more than the temporal, more than the materialistic, more than the naturalistic things that we're all preoccupied with. And so church, I just, I pray this morning that, you know, we're like Daniel, concerned about God's glory and concerned about his people. Amen? Okay, let's pray.